listeners, Pam Skinner here, welcoming you to the combined Chester and Flintshire Talking Newspaper, edition for week beginning Friday the 9th of February. My heart goes out to King Charles and his family, following the recent news of his cancer diagnosis. It reminds us of how fragile life can be, how it can change in an instant, and the importance of living every day as if it could be your last. And reflecting on these loving thoughts, I'm reminded that February the 14th, Valentine's Day, will be here next week. It falls this year, the day after Shrove Tuesday, also known as Pancake Day. Mm. And on the same day as Ash Wednesday, when Lent starts. The 40 days of fasting and confession for the Christian tradition of Lent brings self-sacrifice in the form of giving up a treat such as sweets or chocolate or a well-loved activity. And before you know it, we've arrived at Easter, the most important festival in the Christian Church. The history of Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday is generally well understood, but what about Valentine's Day? The answer might surprise you. As we know it, Valentine's Day is full of sweet things like chocolates, flowers, sentimental cards and if you're lucky, romantic dinners. But who was Valentine? According to legend, Valentine might be based on two Valentines who were executed on February the 14th in different years of the 3rd century by Roman Emperor Claudius II. Legend tells us that one of these men, St Valentine of Terni, had officiated at weddings for Roman soldiers in secret going against the emperor's wishes. Another story involves the practice of writing love letters to Valentine. It's said that St Valentine wrote the first Valentine greeting to a young girl he tutored and fell in love with while he was imprisoned for his crimes. It's said he wrote her a letter before his death signed, From Your Valentine a commonly used phrase to this day that brings a hint of romance through anonymity. Pope Galatius I established the feast of St Valentine, Valentine's Day, in AD 496 to honour St Valentine of Rome, who was martyred in AD 269. But these romantic anecdotes are only legends. So little historical information is known about the martyrs named St Valentine that in 1969 the Roman Catholic Church removed this feast day from its calendar, though the Church still recognises St Valentine as a saint. And in all this talk of romance, what about Cupid, I hear you ask? When and why did he appear? The answer lies in Roman mythology. Cupid was a son of Venus, goddess of love and beauty. He was known for shooting arrows at both gods and humans, causing them to fall instantly in love with one another. So it's easy to see how Cupid became linked to Valentine's Day. My husband George and I don't send each other Valentine's cards. Perhaps I'll share this introduction with him. It's never too late for a little romance in our lives. Sunrise in Chester on Sunday the 11th of February will be at 7.37am, sunset at 5.13pm. Now for some local news items and articles for you.
Hello, this is Chris reading to you today. Chester Centurion House snapped up with work underway on a £10 million development. Blue Oak Estates will configure the Northgate Street building to create 28 apartments and a ground floor commercial unit. A former Chester office complex has been snapped up by developers with work underway to transform it into a £10 million mixed-use development, including modern apartments. Uh, City uh, centre-based Blue Oaks Estate has acquired Centurion House in in Northcote Street and intends to reconfigure this imposing building to create 28 apartments, each with parking and a private residence garden and a commercial outlet on the ground floor. Located within the city walls, the property will be utilised by various businesses and organisations over the years, but has remained partially unoccupied for over 12 months. Work is currently underway and the show house is expected to be ready for viewing in the spring. Located within the city walls, the property has been utilised by various businesses and organisations over the years, but has remained partially unoccupied for 12 months. Working is currently underway and the show house is expected to be ready for viewing in the spring. Ian McLean, the Managing Director of Blue Oaks Estate, explained, We're incredibly excited about our latest acquisition. The sheer size of the building, the potential it presents in terms of redevelopment and its excellent location make this a fantastic opportunity to create something quite special. Converting commercial buildings into residential homes is an area in which we have significant experience and expertise and we'll be applying this background and knowledge here. By taking the existing structure and reinventing the building, we are, we are significantly minimising environmental impact. Further, we see this scheme as something that will help support the local economy and community by increasing availability of quality homes for sale in the heart of this great city. Whilst we watch the high street slowly decline, we must make use of buildings such as this and invest in schemes that address its current need, something we believe Centurion House undoubtedly will do moving forward. Two RAF Typhoon jets intercept plane heading to Manchester Airport. Drama as a Scandinavian Airlines flight loses communication with air traffic control. A plane had to be escorted by two RAF Typhoon jets to land at Manchester Airport on Monday the 5th of February after it lost communication with air traffic control. Scandinavian Airlines flight SK4609 was on its way from Oslo to Manchester at the time. Flight trackers show the aircraft was intercepted over the northeast of England. Emergency crews based at Manchester Airport were on standby as the plane came down to land. The crew lost communications on the way to Manchester, a spokesman to the airport confirmed. The RAF fighter jets were deployed to escort it to a safe landing as is standard procedures. This was reported by the Mirror. The plane landed safely and communications were restored. Scandinavian Airlines, or SAS, 
plane was sur surrounded by police as it came to a standstill at the gate, and pictures showed emergency vehicles parked up close by. Firefighters and paramedics also met the plane on landing as part of the procedure, the, air the airport spokeswoman added. The passengers who, said, who were said to be calm were kept on the plane while still on the runway for around 45 minutes while checks were carried out before being eventually let off the aircraft. A Royal Air Force spokesman said the quick reaction alert typhoon aircraft were launched this afternoon from RAF, RAF Coningsby to intercept a civilian aircraft that had lost communications. Subsequently, communications were re-established. The aircraft was intercepted and safely escorted to Manchester. In a landmark deal, house builder Barrett Developments has agreed to purchase its industry rival, Deeside-based Redrow, in a transaction valued at £2.52 billion. The merger marks a significant step towards consolidation in the house-building market, with both firms aiming to leverage synergies to boost efficiency and increase home production across the country. However, the merger comes with a significant human cost. With a combined workforce of around 8,300 workers, preliminary estimates suggest that more than 800 employees could face redundancy. The job losses are expected to result from a strategic review aimed at eliminating duplicate roles and consolidating office spaces to cut costs, according to the regulatory documents published on Wednesday. With Barrett operating 29 offices and Red Row 12 across the UK, including its head office in Ulo, the combined entity is considering the closure of approximately nine offices as part of its rationalisation efforts. The companies have expressed a commitment to retaining the best talent from both Barrett and Redrow, emphasising the importance of their workforce in achieving the merged entity's objectives. According to the bid document, Barrett has a great respect for Redrow's management and employees. Despite the focus on preserving jobs where possible, the reality of the merger means a 10% reduction in the workforce across the combined business. The companies are exploring options to reallocate affected employees to new roles or growth-related opportunities, prioritising the retention of permanent positions. Operational restructuring following the merger's completion is anticipated to be phased over 12 months, with detailed planning and engagement with employee representatives to ensure compliance with legal obligations. Barrett has also pledged to safeguard the existing employment rights of both Barrett and Redrow employees, with no major changes to employment conditions unless mutually agreed on. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK This is Alastair Hutton with a look back 50 years to 1974. As we head into 2024, a look back 50 years to 1974 shows that while some things have changed, there is an eerie similarity to what we are seeing today. 
the media constantly reminds us that we can expect a general election later in the year, and in 1974 we faced two in the same year. The country had seen coal miners going on strike in the previous couple of years and went into 1974 with the threat of another miners' strike looming. To conserve energy and to help curb inflation, the Conservative-led government began the year with a three-day working week. In the end, the government decided to go to the country in February with an election on the theme of who governs Britain, the government or the National Union of Mine Workers. The outcome was a hung parliament, and after the government couldn't form a coalition, the Labour opposition took power, but looking for a clear mandate, went back to the country in October and won with a three-seat majority. In the end, this government faced the winter of discontent when there was more widespread striking which led up to the 1979 general election and the return of a Conservative government. We still face the constant threat of terrorist attacks in 2024, but 50 years ago the threat came from closer to home. While the country faced inflation and industrial unrest, Terrorism had been brought to mainland Britain by the provisional Irish Republican Army, which killed 12 off-duty soldiers on a bus on the M62, set off car bombs, killed a number of people in public houses, targeted prominent figures in assassination attempts, and damaged Westminster Hall and the Houses of Parliament in a bomb attack. The Middle East was still a troubled area, with Israel trying to recover from another attack on its territory from Syria and Egypt, followed by Iraq, on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the Jewish calendar, on the 6th of October 1973. In 1974, after the Israeli public criticised the country's lack of preparedness and the heavy Israeli casualties, the Prime Minister Golda Meir bowed to the pressure and resigned. However, 1974 also saw the signing of the first of two Egyptian-Israeli disengagement agreements, providing for the return of portions of the Sinai to Egypt. But it was not all horrible news. There were some enduring surprises. On the 6th of April, the Eurovision Song Contest was held at the Dome in Brighton and was won by the Swedish group ABBA with their own song, Waterloo. In travel... A household name was created when British Airways became the unified brand for BOAC, BEA, Cambrian Airways and North East Airlines. The year closed with a mystery which has still not been solved. Lord Lucan disappeared in November after his children's nanny was found murdered. Then the former Labour Cabinet Minister John Stonehouse, who faked his own death in Miami was found living in Australia and was quickly arrested by Australian police who initially believed that he was Lord Lucan. So, 1974 had some surprises up its sleeve. Now we wait to see what surprises 2024 will deliver. TNS Soundings Name of new seven and a half million Chester mother and baby unit revealed. The name of a new regional mother and baby mental health unit in Chester has been revealed. Preparatory building work officially started in November on the seven and a half million pound single storey building, which is the first of its kind across Cheshire, Merseyside and North Wales. The name Theron Lodge has been chosen 
by mothers who have experienced maternal mental ill health and features a nod to the new cross-border partnership with NHS Wales. Nia Fawkes, expert by experience, said, It was important to the group to choose a name which signified hope and positivity, but also something, something which was welcoming to families, no matter where they live. The name Seren translates as star in Welsh, and Lodge felt homely and not clinical at all, which we thought was perfect. Sarah Dearden added, Having previously been admitted to a unit which was really far away from home, it is particularly exciting to see the new site as it is today and know that our ideas and designs are being put into action. Units like this make a huge impact by keeping babies and their mothers together at a crucial time. The unit, which will be located at the Countess of Chester Health Park, is a result of a partnership between Cheshire and Wirral Partnership, NHS Foundation Trust, CWP, Betsy Cadwallader University Health Board, BCHUB, Merseycare NHS Foundation Trust, NHS England and NHS Wales. It will see a disused training centre transformed into a new specialist eight-bedded unit for perinatal mothers, babies and their families. Once open, the unit will work alongside the existing regional community perinatal mental health service who already care for thousands of women every year. The occasion was marked with a special groundbreaking ceremony. Mums from across the region joined members of the clinical, construction and project teams to place the first official spade in the ground. Preparatory work on the project is progressing well, with both external and internal designs agreed, enabling building works underway and recruitment for the new centre set to begin imminently. Suzanne Edwards, CWP Director of Operations and Deputy CEO, said, The new unit will support new and expectant mothers in a therapeutic environment which has been purposefully designed for people experiencing maternal mental health difficulties such as postnatal depression, psychosis or a relapse of an existing mental health condition. It is estimated that one in four women experience mental health problems in pregnancy and during the 24 months after giving birth. Whilst only a small number of women will need admission to a specialist unit like Seren Lodge, I'm delighted that we'll be able to offer this care closer to home, in addition to the thousands of families we see in the community every year. Dr Alberto Salmoiragi, Medical Director for Betsy Cadwallad University Health Board's Mental Health and Learning Disabilities Division, said, We're delighted that Seren Lodge will enable high-quality specialist care to be provided to new and expectant mothers from across North Wales, Chester, Cheshire, Wirral and Merseyside in a purpose-built, recovery-focused environment. Women from North Wales who have a lived experience of perinatal mental illness have played a central role in designing this new service 
and we're very pleased to see that this is reflected in the name of the unit. We look forward to continuing to work with our partners in Cheshire and Rural Partnership NHS Foundation Trust to deliver this much-needed unit. Once open, Seren Lodge will provide a home from home for women and their babies and include a nursery, sensory room and multiple lounges to support quiet time and family visits. Having access to outside spaces is central to the development with two garden areas and a walking pram loop with families benefiting from close access to the Countess Country Park. The news has also been met positively by national charity Action on Postpartum Psychosis, APP, who has campaigned for greater access to specialist perinatal mental health care. Dr Jessica Heron, their chief executive, added, We are so delighted to see the progress being made. The new unit will mean new mothers across North Wales, Cheshire and Merseyside with severe postnatal illness will be cared for appropriately and supported with parenting without having to travel miles from their families to other areas of the UK or ending up in adult psychiatric wards separated from their newborn. Seren Lodge is set to open in winter 2024. RNLI Commemorative Coin The Royal Mint and the Royal National Lifeboat Institution, RNLI, unveiled a commemorative 50 pence coin on Monday the 5th of February, celebrating two centuries of life-saving at sea. The Royal Mint will also be gifting all 238 RNLI lifeboat stations across the UK and Ireland with their own commemorative 50 pence coin as a lasting memento of the bicennial, bicentennial anniversary. Designed by experienced coinage artist John Bergdahl, the 50 pence coin marking the 200th anniversary of the RNLI features a design which pays tribute to the charity's life-saving work over the past two centuries. The coin's design displays the very recognisable RNLI flag surrounded by a life ring. (laughs) Combining traditional engraving techniques with modern minting technology, Royal Mint product designer Daniel Thorne ensured John's original design, created on a plaster model, was translated accurately to appear on a 50 pence, which has a canvas no bigger than 27.3 millimetres. Rebecca Morgan, Director of Commemorative Coin at the Royal Mint, said, We are honoured to be part of the RNLI's bicentenary celebrations by marking the charity's historic anniversary on an official UK 50 pence. Since its formation 200 years ago, the RNLI has served a pivotal role in keeping people safe on our coastlines as well as saving hundreds of thousands of lives at sea. We are proud to confirm that a percentage of the profits from the sale of each coin will also go directly to the RNLI in support of the courageous work and commitment of the charity. Angela Rook, RNLI 200th anniversary lead, said, 
The RNLI has been saving lives for 200 years thanks to the ongoing dedication and commitment of our volunteers and supporters. In 2024, we're remembering our remarkable history, celebrating the modern life-saving service we provide today and looking forward to inspiring and welcoming a new generation of lifesavers and supporters. This coin serves as a wonderful commemorative keepsake to mark this very special milestone in the charity's history and reminder of our ultimate aim, as it has been for the past two centuries, to save lives at sea. Hi, this is Carol Reading. The chase winner spends prize on new agility puppy. A crust champion dog trainer from Cheshire West, who bagged a cash prize on the chase, spent her winnings and more on a new agility puppy. Sarah Bower from Lower Wincham, Northwich, appeared on the ITV quiz show on January 25th, when she stunned National Treasure Bradley Walsh by revealing she and her dog Eric are Cruft, Cruft's champions. The 41-year-old and her fox red terrier, uh, no, fox red Labrador, Eric Acker, the super ginger ninja, scooped the top prize in the large dog agility competition at the world's most prestigious dog show back in 2022. Despite a promising start, Sarah and her three fellow players were all knocked out in their cash build around, but this triggered a slightly different version of the game, meaning contestants still had a chance to win some money. The mother of two walked off with £1,000 prize money, which sadly wasn't enough for her dream of buying her own paddock to train her ever-growing pack. The price of land in Cheshire is absolutely extortionate, she has said. Not to be put off, dog nut Sarah remained true to her canine calling, adding, I ended up using the money for a new puppy instead. His name's Maverick and he's a lovely border collie. He turns one on Valentine's Day. I don't think I've ever gone to see puppies and come away empty-handed. Sarah explained she wanted a collie because, in a sense, Eric has become a victim of his own success. I've had Labradors all my life and they're amazing, but Eric's now in the very top league when we compete. She added, at that level, Border Collies are definitely the most successful breed. Eric has to compete against them now and some of them can turn much faster than he can. Don't get me wrong, we're still giving it a go and trying our hardest, but the Collies need to be having a bit of an off day for me and Eric to stand a fighting chance. But we've got high hopes for young Maverick. We've already decided if he gets to Crufts, he'll have to have a theme song. We're going to play Danger Zone. I'm sure Top Gun fans will get the reference. Sarah took up dog agility six years ago when her neighbour's working Labrador had puppies, which included Eric. But his vast energy reserves meant he soon took to trashing the house. A dog behaviourist told her Eric needed a job. And as Sarah didn't fancy taking up shooting, she chose agility instead, which she says is totally addictive. Though she has young Maverick now, Sarah doesn't want to think Eric will be hanging up his harness. My son Reese, who's 16, has been doing young kennel club competitions with Eric and they're a fantastic team, she added. 
And when my husband and I start our dog training equipment company, SGN Agility, we named it after him. SGN stands for Super Ginger Ninja. Plans to create a new care facility in Buckley have been approved despite concerns over how it could impact a historic music venue. An outline planning application by Hague Developments Limited to build an extra care scheme with up to 90 beds for elderly people on Precinct Way was discussed by councillors on Wednesday the 7th of February. A local resident spoke out against the development at the meeting of Flintshire Council's planning committee held at County Hall in Mould. Ryan Hotwood, who was speaking on behalf of a group of 79 residents, said the proposal had many flaws, including the potential impact on the neighbouring Tivoli venue. He said there were fears within the community that it could lead to the Grade 2 listed former cinema having to reduce its opening hours or even close completely due to noise complaints from residents at the new scheme. He added, Last week was the 11th anniversary of Independent Venue Week, a nationwide celebration of local live music. The Tivoli is one of the standout venues in North East Wales. And according to the Music Venues Trust, 2023 was the worst year for the closure of UK venues, with 125 venues closing and over 4,000 jobs lost. The proposals, which also include plans for 12 bungalows, were recommended to go ahead by Flinch's Chief Planning Officer ahead of the meeting. Andrew Farrow said it would help to address a demand for accommodation for elderly people in the town, with noise mitigation measures required before the development could begin. It comes as Buckley is currently the only major town in Flintshire without an extra care facility. However, objectors have stressed the cultural importance of the Tivoli, which dates back to the 1920s and has hosted gigs by bands such as Oasis, Black Sabbath and even Led Zeppelin. Buckley councillor Mike Pierce said he agreed with concerns about the site's proximity to the Tivoli, but he believed that they could be addressed. He said... There is a concern that the noise from the Tivoli affecting this area could close it down, but I think the reassurance we have is in the report, particularly from Planning Policy Wales, which says that potential impacts from noise pollution arising from existing developments, such as music venues, must be fully considered. The onus is not on the Tivoli, it is on the developer, and I would hope the comments have been made will be fed back. We must preserve and keep the Tivoli. Actor Brian Cox talks about his life. Actor Brian Cox, 77, was born in Dundee. A classically trained Shakespearean actor, he has won two Laurence Olivier Awards. He is best known for starring as Logan Roy in the HBO television series Succession, for which he won a Golden Globe, and he was nominated for three Emmys. He lives between London and New York with his wife, He has three sons and a daughter. He says, I'm a workaholic. Everybody says, how do you do so much? The answer is because I enjoy it. Acting is a great life. I wouldn't knock it for all the tea in China. But it's also a life full of disappointment. You have to know how to manage rejection. There are some good Hollywood perks. When you go to an awards show, there are people giving away gifts. So I've just landed myself a huge coffee machine. I left school when I was 15. 
I was a fish out of water. I was at a technical school and I was hopeless at things like woodwork. It just wasn't who I was. I always wanted to be an actor since the age of three. Fortunately, I had two great teachers who looked out for me. One of them was an amateur opera singer and a great theatre lover. My father only left £10 in the bank when he died. Sadly, he passed away at a ridiculously young age. He was only 51. He was a grocer and he did well, but he made bad investments. We lived in a poor area, so when he died, there were a lot of people owing credit in the neighbourhood and they never paid. It meant that we moved into poverty from being in lower middle class. We just skipped working class. My mother had a massive nervous breakdown and after that she was given electric shock treatment. A lot of her long-term memory was eviscerated, so my sisters helped to bring me up. My eldest sister was very good to me. She had two kids with her husband and they lived in two rooms. It was very modest. She'd take me in and I'd sleep with the kids in one bed. We shared one toilet between five families. I have been blessed with a good voice. Radio is first and foremost about the voice. I love radio because you don't have to wear a costume. You don't have to learn your lines. You don't have to wear makeup. So it's very gratifying. I got my first job at the local repertory theatre in Dundee. I started out as the assistant to the artistic director. She would give me the earnings in cash to take to the bank. Imagine trusting a 15-year-old boy with that. I could have scarpered. I'd also wash the stage. After several months, I moved up the ranks and I became the worst stage manager ever. On one occasion, I even forgot to take up the safety curtain. The character Logan Roy in Succession is a much tougher personality than I am. I'm equivocal while he's an absolutist. I realised while acting him that he's a man who's lost something along the way. He'd lost a sense of purpose, or at least his purpose became very different. It became all tied up with greed. The succession set was very convivial. One of the best things was watching the chaos that young actor Kieran Culkin made as he emerged as an extraordinary actor. I love Kieran. I think he's divine. He makes me laugh considerably. I am so happy that he got the Emmy because he really deserved it. Watching the different dynamics at the play is funny. You've got somebody like Matthew McFadden, who's a character in it, who is no nonsense. He just comes in and does his lines. And then you have actors like Jeremy Strong, who are so intense. The secret to a good marriage, I think, is separate bedrooms. You visit one another. Your partner must feel free. My first marriage broke down because I was in the most ambitious period of my life and I was ignoring a lot of stuff that was going on. My wife was very smart financially and she did really well. She kept me afloat, but it was a strain on the pair of us and it broke us up. My ideal weekend is to do nothing. I like to absolutely vegetate. To me, that is the luxury of luxuries. I think parenting is hard. My kids say I'm not bad at it, but I don't consider myself any good. When you lose your father at the age of eight and your mother becomes crazy for a while, it is very hard to know what parenting is about. Also, I love my ironing board. I don't know why, but ironing is a meditation for me. 
McLevy in the New World is a Radio 4 drama starring Brian Cox and it's available on BBC Sounds. This was adapted from an article in the Times magazine of Saturday the 3rd of February 2024. Dealer who drove drugs between Merseyside and Cheshire jailed. A drug dealer who was caught transporting heroin and crack cocaine between Merseyside and Cheshire has been jailed. John Inglesby appeared at Chester Crown Court on Monday, February the 5th, where he was sentenced to six years and four months in prison. The 38-year-old of Minto Road, Northwood Kirby, had previously pleaded guilty to two counts of possession with intent to supply Class A drugs, dangerous driving, driving whilst qualified and driving without insurance. In addition to his prison sentence, Inglesby was also been banned from driving for four years and f- ten months. Detectives from Crew Proactive CID were alerted to Inglesby after a gay, a grey Kia Keed hire car was identified travelling between Merseyside and ta- South Cheshire on a regular basis, with the potential to be transporting illegal drugs. The Road and Crime Unit was notified. And shortly after 10.20am on Friday the 5th of January, the car was spotted on the A50 in Holmes Chapel. Officers attempted to stop the vehicle, and whilst Inglesby initially did stop, he subsequently drove onto the pavement and made off from the scene. A pursuit was subsequently authorised, during which a police stinger was used, and the incident was quickly brought to a safe conclusion on Newcastle Road North in Brereton. Inglesby was immediately arrested and found to be in possession of a plastic kinder egg containing individual wraps of heroin and crack cocaine, which had a street value of approximately £860. Officers also recovered two mobile phones, one of which had been snapped in half. Following the sentencing, Detective Sergeant Williams said, I welcome the sentence handed to Inglesby and I hope that it acts as a warning to others who were planning to deal drugs in Cheshire. Inglesby was identified as a potential drug dealer thanks to work from crew CID detectives who worked in partnership with the Roads and Crime Unit to catch him in the act. During the incident, Inglesby uh, did all he could to evade officers in his failed attempt to avoid justice. Thankfully, officers were quickly able to bring the pursuit to a safe conclusion and he was swiftly arrested and brought before the courts. Whilst Inglesby is now behind bars, our campaign against drug dealers is ongoing, and we're committed to doing all we can to stop drug activity on the streets of Cheshire and make the county a hostile place for criminals. Dolphin Stranding in North Wales Six common dolphins were returned to the sea after being stranded on a beach in North Wales on the 31st of January, but sadly one subsequently died. A response team of volunteer marine mammal medics was dispatched to the scene to assess the situation and provide first aid to the animals. Meanwhile, members of the public already on the scene were provided with advice over the phone on what to do until the medics arrived. On assessment, there appeared to be four adults and two juveniles. 
Most of the dolphins appeared to be in good health, and the incoming tide began refloating them as soon as the medics arrived on the scene. They were assisted by Natural Resources Wales, NRW, marine experts, RAF Valley personnel and the Coast Guard in the rescue effort. Concerns grew for one of the adults who had an old healed wound where it had lost its dorsal fin some time ago. It also appeared to be underweight and struggled in the water once they were swimming again. The pod was monitored by volunteers from the safety of the shore and a vet also attended the scene. Two dolphins disappeared in the early afternoon on the high tide and couldn't be located, while the remaining four stayed close to shore. A spokesperson for the British Divers Marine Life Rescue said that at around 4.40pm, medics became anxious they would re-strand on the outgoing tide, and so a few volunteers entered the shallows to help redirect them out to open water. The group finally turned seaward and headed out of sight into deeper water shortly afterwards. This morning, 1st of February, one of the pair of dolphins that disappeared earlier in the incident was sadly found deceased nearby. It will be collected for a post-mortem examination with our colleagues at the Cetacean Strandings Investigation Programme. Common dolphins, which are a European protected species, are a widespread species that can be seen in the waters around whales hunting and feeding in large groups. Dolphin strandings can occur for a variety of reasons, including illness and the drivers for mass stranding events are complex. When they occur, it is commonly in highly social species. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, I'm Penny Melville Brown, the Blind Baker. I won an international prize that enabled me to cook all round the world. I've written all the recipes up, I've made hundreds of videos, and I blog and write about recipes all the time. There's even a cookbook. You can find out more about me at www.pennymelvillebrown.com. Hello, it's Penny Melville Brown again. And after all the cold snaps we've had recently, I thought a good winter warming soup, just what we needed. And I love this one because it's incredibly simple. Um, it makes about suppers for about six days for one person or three for two. And it's delicious. So all you need actually is a saucepan, cook it all in, and then afterwards, either a hand blender you can put into the pan to blend it up a bit, or you can put some of it into a proper jug blender. Worst case scenario, if you haven't got either, you just chop your onions and your mushrooms as fine as you can, and it'll still come out wonderful. So let me start off with the ingredients. Two medium-sized onions, peeled and finely chopped into little dice, I think. Then you want 90 grams of butter and 500 grams of mushrooms, 
And again, those need to be trimmed and sliced. I never wash mushrooms. It just makes them wet because they absorb all the water. You want a good tablespoon of fresh thyme leaves, or if you haven't got any in the garden, some um, a smaller amount of dried thyme leaves would be good. Then we need some liquid, and I'm just going to use a liter of water and one of those little plastic containers of stock, a stock pot or a stock cube. Or if you're really good, you can use a liter of your own homemade water uh, stock. I would use chicken stock, but it's not going to be that important. Then you want cream to taste. I'd think a couple of tablespoons. And you also want some salt and pepper to taste. And you're also looking for 20 grams of corn flour or plain flour, just to thicken it all up a bit. It's an incredibly easy recipe. So we're just going to throw uh, diced up onions into the pan with the butter and gently saute them for about eight to 10 minutes. We're looking for them to start smelling. Um, I wouldn't be able to see if they were getting golden, but I would be able to feel on the end of the spoon whether they're getting soft. Then you throw in all the mushrooms, all sliced up, and the thyme. And mushrooms make a lot of bulk when they go into the pan. So you need a reasonably good sized pan. And then you just saute them, nothing more complicated, for probably about another eight minutes until they all start collapsing down. At that stage, in goes the corn flour. You just sprinkle it across the top. And that's just going to mix in with your mushrooms before you pour in the litre of water, put in your stock cube. And then you bring the whole lot up to a gentle simmer, probably, again, another eight to ten minutes, not much more. Finally, you add some cream to taste. And I recommended a couple of tablespoons and then your salt and pepper to taste. There you go. A dead simple winter warming mushroom soup that you can have at home or you can offer to your guests. Really lovely. I hope you enjoy this recipe. I hope you give it a try. If you've got ideas or suggestions for future recipes, please get in touch with me. You can always make contact through my website, www.pennymelvillebrown.com. And happy baking to all of you too. Bye-bye. TNF Soundings. Romance fraudster Kieran McNamara jailed. A man who swindled more than £300,000 from four women across the UK has been jailed. Kieran McNamara, who also uses the names Kieran Griffin, Christian McNamara and Miles McNamara, appeared at Chester Crown Court on Tuesday, February the 6th, where he was sentenced to seven years in prison. The 37-year-old from Coventry had previously pleaded guilty to four counts of fraud by false representation. The court heard that McNamara was leading a lavish lifestyle, travelling across the UK in first-class on trains, planes and in five-star hotels. He met his victims through a variety of different methods. 
On some occasions he met them online, while on others he would visit exclusive hotels and clubs with the overall aim of preying on wealthy individuals to manipulate for his own gain. After carefully selecting his victims, he would start relationships with the women, convincing them that he was a successful businessman with a high-value property portfolio across the UK. To help convince the women of his wealth, he showed them images of him at mansions in London and Cheshire to substantiate his account, as well as pictures of him travelling first class across the world. He would also flood the women with gifts, weekends away, and take them out for expensive meals. However, what the victims didn't know is that he was using money he had taken from other women to fund his lifestyle. After convincing his victims that they were in a loving relationship, he would create a fake crisis, claiming that he was having issues with his banking and needed to borrow money, which he said he would repay as soon as possible. If any of the women questioned his motives, he would turn it on them and blame them for doubting him. In total, between September the 1st, 2022 and September the 25th, 2023, McNamara managed to manipulate his four victims in Cheshire, Warwickshire and Hertfordshire to hand over £302,054.26. His downfall came after his victim in Cheshire realised what he was doing and reported her concerns to police. An investigation was launched by detectives from the Cheshire Constabulary Economic Crime Unit, which resulted in McNamara's arrest in Colchester on Thursday the 28th of September 2023. He was subsequently charged with four counts of fraud by false representation. Following his arrest, officers have since raided a lockup, which was being rented by McNamara, where they recovered approximately £19,500 worth of brand new goods, including a £1,900 Burberry coat, a £400 Burberry scarf, Dubarry boots, Gucci trainers and a Ping golf set. Enquiries to locate other assets belonging to him remain ongoing and all the items recovered will be subject to a proceeds of crime hearing. Detective Constable Victoria Hazelwood, who led the investigation, said McNamara is a serial fraudster and I truly believe that he cannot tell the difference between reality and fantasy. During our investigation, we uncovered a web of lies with thousands of text messages which he sent to his victims in order to extort cash to fund his lavish lifestyle. He convinced his victims that he was a millionaire with properties across the country, but in reality he was unemployed and living out of a suitcase. McNamara identified ways he could control and manipulate his victims and throughout the investigation he has shown no remorse for his actions. He truly believed that he would never be caught by police and that he would never be held accountable for his despicable behaviour. Thankfully, because of the courage and bravery of his victims and the work of the team here in the Economic Crime Unit at Cheshire Constabulary, McNamara was left with no option other than to admit his guilt. 
While he is now behind, behind bars, I have no doubt that there are other victims across the country who have been treated in the same way, and I would encourage them to come forward. If you believe that you have been targeted by a romance fraudster, or you believe somebody close to you has been targeted, then please contact Action Fraud so you can begin to get the necessary support and prevent other people from becoming victims. At the sentencing, His Honour Judge Berkson stated that McNamara's offending history was a significant aggregating, aggravating factor with many similar offences in the past. He also said that McNamara had ruined the victims' lives and was a real risk into the future, as he had very little sympathy for his victims. To contact Action Fraud, visit www.actionfraud.police.uk That's www.actionfraud.police.uk Or call 0300 223 2040 That's 0300 123 2040 Here's a poem from Please Mrs Butler, the collection of poems about school time by Alan Olberg. This one's called Lost and it's in the form of a letter from the fussy parent to the long-suffering teacher. Dear Mrs Butler, this is just a note about our Raymond's coat which he came home without last night so I thought I'd better write. It was minus his scarf as well. I regret to say. And his grandma is most upset as she knitted it in its pure wool. You'll appreciate her feelings, I'm sure. Also, his swimming towel has gone out of his pee bag, he says, and one of his socks too. It's purplish and green with a darn in the heel. His sister Jean has a pair very similar. And while I remember, is there news yet of those fair isle gloves which Raymond lost that time after the visit to the pantomime? Well, I think that's all. I will close now. Best wishes, yours sincerely, Maureen Howe, Mrs. P.S. I did once write before about his father's hat that Raymond wore in the school play and later could not find but got no reply. Still, never mind. Raymond tells me now he might have lost the note or left it in the pocket of his coat. TNF Soundings Features from across the UK Hello, this is Jan with some seasonal tips and ideas from the gardening expert at the MK Pulse magazine based in Milton Keynes. Everything's coming up roses. Last month, we met keen amateur gardener Debbie Keating, who took an overlooked outdoor space and turned it into a little haven. This month, Debbie shows off her finished garden, which is a beautiful and calm creation. Debbie had used a free gardening design app to map out her plans and employed the muscle power of family members to help with the initial hard work. The bedded area surrounding the perfect oval lawn was dug up 
and then soil was mixed up with topsoil and compost to break the clay up and make it more habitable, she recalled. I then covered those areas with weed fabric and a generous layer of wood chippings, which is a much more bug-friendly mix than gravel. I have difficulty staying focused on one task effectively for long periods of time, so any garden work needed to be broken down into much smaller tasks that could easily be picked up and then parked when I ran out of steam. Did I mention that I'm not good with plants? She smiles. Well, I believe about 80% of what I plant either dies or never grows. It doesn't make for a good track record. But as long as I replace the gaps each year and don't keep getting the same plants over and over again in delusional optimism, tomatoes being a great example of that, then over time it does fill up. Only the massive pile of empty pots behind the shed testify to the sheer volume of death that has happened out there. The journey to green perfection has been a lengthy one, but the results speak for themselves. It has taken about seven years to almost finish, she admits. Now there are bits that need to be repaired or replaced, but when it's summer and tidy, it is an amazing space, and more like an outside room rather than just a parking zone for those bins. The space has a real buzz about it too. I try to pick good pollinator plants, Debbie agrees. We have far too many paved gardens nowadays, and the massive decline in insects in recent years is going to be the downfall of us all. A real lawn is also far cooler underfoot in the summer months. Debbie's garden is also a private spot to indulge in a caffeine fix before work nowadays. Talk about starting the day the right way. And there are other benefits too. I have red currant and black currant fruit bushes, which are a vital ingredient for random red, my favourite vodka, she smiles. The absolute best reason to raise a glass to her efforts. TNF Soundings. Date set for new 10-pin Chester site with 28 bowling lanes, escape rooms and karaoke. Tenpin is in the process of converting the former Sports Direct and Thrive units at Chester Retail Park. The opening date has been set for a new bowling alley in Chester. The adjoining former Sports Direct and Thrive units at Chester Retail Park are currently being converted into a new Tenpin Chester venue. The brand, who have a bowling alley at the Coliseum Leisure Park in Ellesmere Port, last had a base in Chester more than 10 years ago. The old venue closed along with the adjoining Cine World unit in 2013 to make way for a new Asda supermarket. Now Tempin will open its doors in the city once again when the new site launches on Friday, March 29th. The eagerly anticipated facility will also boast karaoke and escape rooms, a laser tag arena and two cocktail bars. Teasing the impending launch, 10 Pin states, We're excited to bring bowling and a collection of other fabulous indoor activities to Chester. Our newest entertainment centre will be opening its doors on 29th of March, just in time for your Easter celebrations. So what can you expect? Prepare to be wowed by 28 lanes for your Chester bowling, 
with lane lighting effects to impress across two floors and the best kids' birthday parties in the city. Treat the little ones to all singing, all dancing, bowling party, quite literally with bowling, dancing, music, balloon modelling and tasty pizza to keep them going. Our, ex our exciting activities don't end there though. Get ready for two private karaoke rooms to show off your singing talents. The ultimate laser tag arena to begin your quest for victory and four escape rooms by the man himself, Houdini. We also have party packages for laser tag and karaoke, so whatever takes your fancy, there's a celebration with your name on it. You'll love our vibrant bar areas with two cocktail bars. That'll be the icing on the cake, making us the perfect place for meeting up with friends, family gatherings, team building or after work drinks. Plus, our tasty food menu will make sure no one goes hungry. We look forward to welcoming you soon, so watch this space. Roll on March. News of the opening date comes as Tenpin secured advertising consent from Cheshire West and Chester Council for signage at the new site. North Wales Police have issued a warning about a rising scam involving mobile phone upgrades. The scam sees victims contacted by someone purporting to be from their mobile phone company, offering a good deal for a phone upgrade. Following the phone call, the scammer will access the victim's mobile phone account and order a new phone on their contract. Once the phone is delivered to the victim, they're contacted and told there's been a mistake and the phone needs to be returned. Once it's posted, the phone is then received by fraudsters or sent to an assistant to avoid detection leaving the victim with the contract for the new upgraded phone. There have also been reports where scammers have attended the victim's house, claiming to be couriers and asking for the phone back, explaining that it was delivered by mistake. Over the weekend, a woman from North Wales received a police caution after agreeing to receive a fraudulent parcel at her address for a fee. It came as part of a national policing campaign being run throughout February by North Wales Police Economic Crime Unit, along with other teams across the UK, to proactively disrupt fraud offending. The activity is supported by Operation Henhouse, a National Economic Crime Centre initiative, to provide funding to allow forces to undertake additional operational activity against fraudsters. Detective Inspector Yolo Williams said... If you receive an invitation to receive a package via the post or allow your bank account to be used to transfer funds, the likelihood is, is that you are assisting a fraud to take place. There is every possibility that you will be identified and visited by the police and the result may be a criminal record. He added, also if someone purporting to be a courier asks for a parcel back from you, Keep hold of the package and contact the company directly, and if you feel in any danger, call the police. If you do fall victim to such a fraud, contact your mobile phone provider to advise them straight away. They will then commence an investigation themselves. Then report the matter to the police on 101 or to Action Fraud by calling 0300 so that's report the matter to the police by dialing 101 or to Action Fraud on 0300 A day in the life of actor David Jason. 
David Jason was born in Edmonton, North London. He trained as an electrician, but quit after six years to pursue acting. His first television role was in the soap opera Crossroads in 1964, but he made his name in 1976 alongside Ronnie Barker in Open All Hours. He is best known for playing Del Boy in Only Fools and Horses, routinely hailed as the UK's favourite sitcom. He has also starred in The Darling Buds of May and A Touch of Frost. He lives in Buckinghamshire with his wife Jill and their grown-up daughter Sophie. He has another daughter, Abby, from a previous relationship. He says, I usually get up around 7.30am and some nights I have slept better than others. Gone are the days when my head hit the pillow and I was out like a light all through the night. Jill and I usually have breakfast together. I'll have cereal or toast and some homemade jam. Mulberry is my favourite. We're lucky enough to have a mulberry tree and I enjoy making jams and chutneys as I find it relaxing. On a typical winter's day, my first task is to clean and set the log fire from the night before. We have two dogs who at 11 and 12 are both getting on now. They know that they have a much better walk with Jill, so if I take them, they come back and look through the window for her. We also have three chickens and two Aylesbury ducks. We would love to give them free range, but we have too many foxes around to let them loose on their own. Since Covid, my workload is more sporadic. I love filming anything that I think is good quality. My taste in acting grew steadily from my first amateur dramatic group. I'm pleased it was a slow process and I feel sorry for people who are thrust into the limelight. I was massively influenced by Laurel and Hardy and I loved the goons and Peter Sellers. If I've been lucky enough to be seen as a relatable actor, it is purely down to the parts I've played and to the skill of the writers. I was at Wimbledon once and I sat quite close to Jack Nicholson. So many people came up to say hello to me, but nobody dared approach Jack. Being part of Only Fools and Horses is a privilege. I know how much it has meant to so many people. I hope I never take the title National Treasure too seriously. I call myself the leg end, but it's humbling that people see me that way. When I'm at home, we usually have lunch at about 1.30pm. Anything from a tomato salad to bubble and squeak. Nothing that takes up too much time. Jill and I have always watched the repair shop. It's so relaxing and the experts are just that, experts. And Jay Blades, the show's host, has what we used to call the gift of the gab. He's a bundle of joy and positivity, a very tall bundle. And now we're doing a show together called Touring Toolshed. We're on the same page when it comes to repairs, restoration and all things creative. When I used to restore motorbikes, I'd spend an awful lot of time in my shed polishing and fixing. I have a 50s pinball machine now that needs restoring, so that'll be my next project. I listen to Radio 4 in there, or sometimes I just like the peace and solitude. My passion for fixing things came out of necessity. Growing up, we didn't have the money to pay for repairs, and I'm of the waste-not-want-not generation. If we can fix it, we should. I leave the shed at six o'clock. For dinner, my speciality is a nice lamb stew. Winter evenings have us hunkering down in front of the fire and watching television. I haven't seen the reboot of Frasier yet with Nick Lindhurst in, my old co-star from Only Fools and Horses, but I'm sure he'll have done a great job. Bedtime's around 10pm. We watch the news headlines and then make our way up the apples and pears. I try not to look back too much. 
The past is a foreign country. They do things differently there. But I couldn't be happier with how my career has turned out. One of my ambitions is to be part of a major movie, as that would complete my dream of a Hollywood experience. Are there any producers out there who are interested? This was adapted from an article in the Sunday Times magazine of Sunday the 28th of January 2024. Chester Music Groups joined together for Cathedral Show. Two classical music groups in Chester are to come together for the staging of a major performance at the city's cathedral. Final preparations are underway as two highly acclaimed mainstays of Chester's classical music scene are joining forces in the historic surroundings of Chester Cathedral to stage a performance of a major work by one of the country's best-loved composers. The ambitious collaboration, which promises to be the highlight of the Chester concert season, will see the Chester Bach Singers and the Chester Philharmonic Orchestra joining forces along with the Cantonenus uh, Choir from Oswestry to stage Edward Elgar's iconic Dream of Gerontius at the Cathedral on Saturday, March the 2nd at 7.30pm. They will be joined for the concert by the internationally acclaimed guest soloist, tenor Joshua Ellicott, mezzo-soprano Catherine Rudge and bass James Platt. The performance will be conducted by the renowned Shropshire-based composer and conductor Martin Bussey. Composed by Elgar in 1900, The Dream of Gerontius is a work of voices and orchestra which sets the text of the poem by Cardinal John Henry Newman to music. It relates the journey of a pious man's soul from his deathbed to his judgment before God and settling into purgatory. Elgar disapproved of the term of the use of the term oratory for the work, although his wishes were not always followed. Formed in two parts, each of which are made up of several distinct sections, the piece is widely regarded as Elgar's finest corner choral Elgar's finest choral work, and some consider it his masterpiece. It is widely performed by choral groups and has long been regarded as an essential part of any classical choir's repertoire, including uh, Handel's Messiah and Mendelssohn's Elijah. Full details of the Dream of Gerontius can be found at www.chestercathedral.com. That's www.chestercathedral.com where tickets can be booked online. Tickets can also be booked in person at Chester Cathedral. Tributes have been paid to a Flincher High Street shop owner and pillar of the community. Martin Jones, owner of Vaughan Davis Menswear on Wrexham Street in Mould, has sadly died aged 71. He has been described as a true gentleman and the heart of Mould Town Centre. Beloved husband of Liz, dearly loved father of Matthew and Ruth, and dear brother of Austin, Martin will be missed by all who knew him. His children paid a touching tribute. They said, We have, and always will say, with the most pride imaginable, that Martin Jones was our dad. 
He was the best dad, kind, funny and a gentleman in every way possible. He was the backbone of our household and provided us all with endless love and stability. Martin was a deeply religious man, known for his devotion to the local diocese and he was heavily involved with his local church. He worked as a tailor from a young age, firstly in his youth at Carnarvon and continuing in developing his passion when he moved to Ruthin and started working for Vaughan Davis before eventually taking over the business himself. Ruth and Matthew added, a businessman through and through, the shop became his passion and his life. He gave his heart and soul to providing a top quality service for his customers. He was extremely well liked and respected due to his professionalism and mild-mannered nature. He became very fond of mould and joined the business forum where he actively advocated for the town. Staff members at Vaughan Davis paid a collective tribute saying, Martin has worked at Vaughan Davis for many years, owning it for the last 16. He was an extremely dedicated and hard-working man who we have all worked with for well over 20 years. Martin will be sorely missed, not just by the staff, but by customers who have become good friends, as well as by other businesses in the town. Mould Town Council also played, paid tribute to Martin. A spokesperson said, We are saddened to hear of the passing of Martin Jones. Martin was a pillar of the community and a great advocate for our town. Sporadic since Christmas, Kogainok's great grey shrike put in an appearance last week in Clearfeld Forestry, northwest of Lindbrennick. Smaller than a missile thrush with a longer tail, a few great grey shrikes winter in Wales from their breeding areas in Finland and Scandinavia. Clear fell provides snags from which to survey open areas for small prey. In times of plenty, they store small birds and mammals on a large thorn or barbed wire, hence the shrike's old English name of butcher bird. Great grey shrikes winter territories in Britain have moved west since the 1980s resulting in increased records in Wales. Numbers grew in the early 2000s and peaked last decade with more than 25 individuals in some years. However, sightings have fallen to just three or four each winter, although there is time for more to be found this month. The reduction is evident elsewhere in Britain, and it remains a major rarity in Ireland. There is no obvious reason for the historic increase or recent decline. Is it short-stopping as evident in wintering water birds from the east, with birds not moving so far as the climate warms, or our great grey shrike breeding populations falling in northeastern Europe as elsewhere on the continent. Waxwings continue to draw admirers to Pentra Halkin with 180 birds on Saturday. 
Other weekend sightings include overwintering long-tailed ducks on Lynn Milog and two of Ben Lech. Hooded crow at RSPB South Stack and the snow goose of unknown origin at Fly. A Slavonian grebe is off Roast Point. Cattle egret and great white egrets at RSPV called Daiga. And 300 pink-footed geese flew up the Kefni Valley on Sunday. In Cardigan Bay, three long-tailed ducks were off Cricketh. And five off Black Rock and two black-necked grebes at both a guest. A glossy ibis has again been at Pretheli and Aberach. Chester manhunt after a shoplifter broke out of prison van. A shoplifter who broke out of a prison van and led, and led to a big police hunt in Chester has been put behind bars. Paul Lupu, 20, of Burnley Lane, Chadderton, Greater Manchester, had denied shoplifting offences committed at Cheshire Oaks when he appeared at Chester Magistrates Court on December 11, 2023. He was remanded in custody and was put in a prison van to be taken to HMP Altcourse. But Lupu Lupu attacked prisoner escort officers John Hayworth and Donna Hewson as he escaped the van and was at large in Chester for several hours. After the police helicopter and 50 50 police were deployed to residential areas of Chester, Lupu was found hiding in a garden and re-arrested. He later admitted escaping from lawful custody and assaulting two emergency workers. On the day of his trial for the shoplifting offences, he changed his plea to guilty. Sentencing him at Chester Crown Court on Tuesday, February 6th, recorder Mark Cooper jailed Lupu for a total of 22 months. Miles Wilson, prosecuting, said the shoplifting offences happened on December 5th with two co-offenders where CCTV had seen him take 11 clothing and accessory items from Michael Kors, totalling £1,419 in the early evening. A member of staff later noticed the items had gone missing. Later that day, Lupu returned to Cheshire Oaks and again with two co-offenders, stole 20 cosmetics items worth £1,677 from the cosmetics company store. Again, a member of staff later noticed the items had been taken. On December 8th, Lupu returned to Cheshire Oaks once more, but a security guard recognised him and called police and Lupu was arrested. He denied being the man shown on CCTV. Explaining the escape on December the 11th, Mr Wilson said Lupu was in the prison van heading to HMP Altcourse and was seen putting tissue to cover a CCTV camera in his cell. He was told repeatedly to stop doing that and eventually the van pulled over at a motorway junction on the outskirts of Chester at 3.20pm so officers could tell him to stop 
and removed tissue from the camera. Lupu then attacked both prison, prisoner escort officers in a struggle lasting about 30 seconds and which injured both officers before escaping. Masiusen was later taken to hospital for x-rays. At about 6.45pm, Lupu approached a woman with her child in Brook Lane, saying he was lost and asked if he could use her phone. She agreed, but after he left the scene, the woman found out there was an escaped prisoner in the area, so called police. The police operation, which located Lupu shortly afterwards, saw 50 officers and the helicopter deployed and cost £7,500. In police interview, Lupu said he had not liked being watched by the camera in the cell and thought the officers were going to attack him. Mr Hayworth, in a victim impact statement, described struggling to return to work, having had recurring flashbacks, having depression and anxiety, while Miss Hewson said she struggled to see if she could do the job she loved and did with pride any more following the attack. She added she had spent Christmas in pain, had been diagnosed with PTSD and did not think she could be the same again. Lupu had 15 previous convictions for 31 offences, including driving, dishonesty and drugs matters and was in breach of his licence for a 14-month sentence imposed in November 2022 for dangerous driving and driving while disqualified. Defending, Alexandra Carrier said Lupu was 19 at the time of the offending and there was a lack of maturity. He had said he was spooked and it was fight or fight, fight, flight that led him to escape from the prison van. He had since accepted what he had done was wrong, adding his intention was to return to his family home and call his solicitor. In a letter written for the judge, Lupu wrote, I am really sorry for the crimes I have done. I was panicked and scared. I know how I have done wrong. Please give me a chance at life. I promise I will not I will not reoffend again. The judge said that only immediate custody was appropriate as he sentenced Lupu to a total of twenty two months in prison. Residents in Flincher have been put on alert for a suspicious caller purporting to be from Scottish Power. Police have received reports of a man knocking on doors in Deeside, saying that he needs to carry out a survey inside the house. After a resident made inquiries with the energy firm, it was confirmed that none of its staff were working in the area at the time. North Wales Police is now warning householders to be on their guard. The North Wales Police North Flincher team said it had been alerted by several concerned residents. The man was described as being around six foot tall, wearing a high-vis jacket with a red lanyard. He was said to be carrying a clipboard. Doorstep criminals tend to be split into two groups, they say. Bogus callers posing as council staff, charity collectors or meter readers to get into homes to steal money and valuables. Some try to gain trust in order to get personal details. The second group is rogue traders who cold call, offering repairs and improvements, often in in charging inflated prices for shoddy work or work that isn't even needed. In a social media warning, 
North Wales Police, North Flintshire, said, If someone knocks at your front door claiming to be from a company, first check their ID, and if you're not happy, don't let them in. Never call a phone number on their ID card to check them out. Ask them to wait outside, shut the door, and find the company number on the internet. If they're genuine, they will understand. If you suspect suspicious activity in your area, you can always report it to North Wales Police by calling 101. So that's report it to North Wales Police by calling 101. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello. The following article is drawn from PSS iTalk, an online audio resource from the Partially Sighted Society. The Society is a national charity here to support anyone living with sight loss. You can find out more about PSS services and products on our website, www.partsight.org.uk, or by phoning us on 01 302 965. 195 from Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. They say that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, that proved to be the case for Paul Beardo when a vision-impaired family member was having problems playing one of her favourite word puzzles. As someone who's worked in the field of designing games for mobile phones and the like, Paul grasped the challenge of finding a solution. As he told us, at PSS I Talk. Well, it was my uh, mother-in-law, Jean. Uh, she's 93 years old, and she's been suffering from wet macular degeneration of her eyes. And one of the things she really loved doing was word search puzzles, and we used to buy her books to do this. But as time went on, she found it harder and harder to read the text. And so we thought, well, okay, let's get an iPad because, you know, you can zoom the screen and you can do all these kinds of things to make it easy to see the text. And so we did that and we downloaded some word search games. And the problem we found was that they were incredibly complicated. They would get harder over time. So you could start off with a nice easy game and then it would suddenly become, you know, a huge grid of letters and there'd be pop-up messages and, hey, you've won these tokens and... You have to subscribe to get more. And it was just too much. So we just thought, well, I know how to write software. I used to write mobile games in my past. Surely, you know, as Jeremy Clarkson would say, you know, how hard can it be? (laughs) And so I decided, well, I'll just crack on and see if I can build something for her. The word search format is complicated. Mm. You talked about the grid, and it it is just a Mm. mass of letters, isn't it? And it's a very visual thing as well, of course. You have to actually identify what going horizontally, vertically, or or even diagonally, words in that mass of letters. So it's not an easy task in the first place. Without getting technical at all, Paul, how did you kind of set about making it simple? Well, the idea originally was that the game would just keep going and going because most of the ones you download, they seem to have a fixed pattern. You have a game and it's been like pre-recorded. And I wanted to be able to say, well, let's just keep going and going and going forever. So the tricky part was actually filling the grid with letters. And I just take screen coordinates, basically, and say what letters underneath those coordinates. So it does get complicated making it reliable and easy to use, but 
as I said, the hardest part was actually coming up with good puzzles. Like a crossword compiler would create a crossword for one day. This app has to keep going and going and going forever. So that was the tricky part. I can imagine. And this is built for Apple iPads. Of course, they are themselves adaptable, aren't they, for blind and partially sighted people? And they can be enlarged. The image, what you see on the screen, like indeed an Android tablet, that can be enlarged. Is that a necessary thing, enlarging, zooming in on one bit of the grid? How does one use it? Well, I designed it so you can choose the size of the grid. So you can have it, you know, five letters by five letters, and that will just fill the screen. And you can go up to nine letters by nine letters if your vision allows it. But I tried to make it so that it could be really, really simple. And so when you start the app, the puzzle is there. And it tells you which words to search, and that's it. And that's all you'll ever see unless you want to just change a few of the settings. It can be five by five, six by six, and it will stay there as well. It's not suddenly shown a more complex grid. You just choose the level that works for you and just keep going. And the screens are very obvious. They're very, very straightforward screens. It's unlike any of the other apps, which have lots of features in them. This is just so simple. And you're fully in control of what happens. Of course, the iPad and, and Android devices as well have speech feedback built into them. They, they, they can they, talk, they can't they? Does your app, or are you developing your app in the future to sort of make use of that? That's the plan, to actually add a voiceover so that when you touch the letters, it will say which letter you're touching, and so you get that audio feedback of what you're doing as well. And finally, on a kind of general note, you mentioned your mother-in-law, the inspiration for all of this. How did she take to, I know everyone's different and therefore different people deal with technology in different ways, but how did she take to using an iPad originally designed to be a a very sort of visually centred piece of equipment? It's interesting. She took to it well. She found it very straightforward once she had formed an idea of her head what things meant. So, yeah, she took to it really well. And with the game as well, once she sort of realized that there weren't going to be any funny things happening, then she just played it nonstop, to be honest, because it worked for her. So that was great. She was never frightened of the iPad. There was no, oh, my God, I'm going to break things. Once you realize that actually you can't break them, nothing you will do on an iPad will stop it working, not in terms of it functioning. Obviously, if you drop it, it'll break. But, you know, once that fear is gone, then it's like a duck to water. It's, oh, okay. Now, you can buy the super simple word search, which Paul Beardo developed, from the Apple App Store. The cost is 99 pence, which Paul told us is just to cover the costs of making it available to download in this way. And once again, the title of the app is Super Simple Word Search. TNS Soundings. Joy at birth of rare baby chimpanzee at Chester Zoo. A rare baby chimpanzee has been born at Chester Zoo. The new male infant arrived to Mum Alice in front of astonished zoo visitors following an eight-month pregnancy. Newly released images of the tiny newborn show it's being carefully cradled by Mum and other female relatives in the 21-strong group. The chimpanzees at Chester are part of an international conservation breeding programme 
which sees European zoos working together, using the latest scientific technologies to determine the genetic makeup of each chimpanzee to create a safety net population to help prevent the primates from disappearing altogether. Human-related impact impacted chimpanzee populations in many parts of Africa. Deforestation, driven by agricultural expansion and logging, has significantly reduced their natural habitats into smaller and more fragmented territories. Michael Jordan, Animal and Plant Director at the zoo said, a new birth always sparks some real excitement within the chimpanzee group here at Chester. While Alice and her new baby are certainly centre of attention among the other chimpanzees, they're still finding some quiet time to get to know one another and can often be seen cuddled up together. What's also great to see is that some of the others in the group, especially the younger females, are really intrigued by the new baby and are learning all about motherhood from Alice. This is an important learning curve for them and this experience can really be useful when they hopefully go on to have babies of their own. A thriving conservation breeding programme is key to the long-term protection of these animals. For nearly 30 years, our teams have worked on the ground in Uganda, Nigeria and Gabon in Africa, working hand-in-hand -hand with wildlife authorities, in-country partners and local communities in an effort to protect some of the world's rarest wild chimpanzee populations and their forest homes. These collective efforts paired with the conservation breeding programme in zoos gives us hope that we can create a future when chimpanzees thrive long into the future. Friends run Conway Half Marathon to raise funds for air ambulance. A group of seven friends raised £1,744 for Wales Air Ambulance after completing the Conway Half Marathon in memory of a much-loved friend who had a heart of gold. Gareth Bowen, who was known as Chemo to his friends, tragically lost his life in August 2023. He has been described by friends and family as a truly beautiful and great man. His friends Amy Boyd, Rachel Wintle, Paul Johnson, Sarah Davis, Simon Quick, Joe Robinson and Laura Thrift set themselves the challenge of taking on the half marathon <clears throat> in aid of the Wales Air Ambulance after the charity supported the RNLI rescue team to help with the search of Gareth. Amy said, we decided to pick the Conway half marathon as we knew this would be a great challenge for us. However, this is something Gareth would have achieved with ease. Gareth completed many half marathons as well as full marathons with little training. The team named themselves Crazy Diamonds, which was a favourite song of Gareth's and also very fitting to him as a person. He was a true diamond. Rachel Wintle said, I felt there were lots of signs of support from Gareth along the way, spurring us on. A song at the beginning of the race and a rainbow appearing at the end. I trained for 16 weeks, three times a week, and found it gruelling and challenging. But remembering why we were doing it to support a charity who helps to save lives got us through. Deb Seema, 
Community fundraiser for Wales Air Ambulance said, Many congratulations to the Crazy Diamonds team for taking on the huge challenge in memory of Gareth. The half marathon fell on the weekend of what would have been Gareth's birthday, making it an ever more poignant day. It was a lovely way to remember him. We are honoured that the team wanted to fundraise for our charity in Gareth's memory, whilst raising an amazing £1,744. Gareth sounded like a wonderful man who is clearly missed. Your support will help us continue to be there for the people of Wales when they need us most. Thank you to everyone involved in the fundraiser. Author Joanne Harris talks about her life. I've lived in Yorkshire all my life, she says, and I don't think Yorkshire would have as many writers if the scenery here wasn't so inspirational. In West Yorkshire, we have the Bronte Moors. On the coast, we have Whitby, capital of the ghost story. My parents and grandparents were born storytellers. They were brilliant at teaching me about our local folklore and industrial history. The more I've travelled, though, the more I've seen that people are pretty much the same everywhere. The trick to being a writer is to make everyday stories seem surprising. My most recent novel, Broken Light, is set in Yorkshire. Parts of it are set here, but I wouldn't describe it as a Yorkshire book. I wrote it in 2020 during lockdown while I was having treatment for breast cancer. It's a dark, paranoid story about a middle-aged woman who discovers her power. My most Yorkshire novel would be Blackberry Wine. It's a tribute to my paternal grandfather, a coal miner who hated mining and loved gardening. I inherited my love of gardening from him. My garden is part of the Victorian house near Huddersfield that I bought with the proceeds from Blackberry Wine. There are five acres, mostly woodland, with old fruit trees, lawns and a Japanese garden with water features. My grandfather would have loved it. As a child, I was always following him around in his garden. He'd be going, smell this or taste that, showing me how to make things from rose hips and wild spinach. I often imagine him pottering around when I'm out there. He would say, you made good to get a garden like this. I walk every day. I often climb Castle Hill and Iron Age Hill, Hill Fort with a Victorian tower and a view over Huddersfield. It became Red Horse Hill in my Rune Marks series of fantasy novels. It is buzzing with stories. I look at the earthworks and the landscape and wonder what it meant to communities over 4,000 years. It's a great way to get perspective. Chocolat, my most famous book, is based in a French village. I grew up in Barnsley, South Yorkshire. My father is English, but my mother is French. They were both teachers. My mum came over in the 1960s, having met my father in France when he was on a teaching placement. For the first few years of their marriage, they lived in my grandparents' sweet shop in the mining community of Stainforth. As a baby, I slept under the till. In the school holidays, I'd stay with my maternal grandparents in Western France, where confiseries sold chocolates that looked like works of art. The book Chocolat was born between those two cultures. When I was on the programme Desert Island Discs, I picked my writing shed as my luxury item. My husband Kevin had it built for me in our garden to look like a weaver's shed. It has green oak beams and deep windows overlooking our vegetable garden and apple trees. 
I've filled it with bright lamps, candles and some favourite objects. On my desk I have a faded Simon's Cat coaster, rather the worse for wear, which was an early present from my son Fred. I also keep a stone from a beach on Noirmoutier, the French island where my grandfather had a holiday home by the sea. It reminds me of the place where I'm happiest. I've never needed to get a writing routine. I wrote my first three novels while I was teaching French at Leeds Grammar School, so I got used to writing whenever and wherever I could. A lot of my writing time is thinking and planning time, so I'm doing it when I'm walking or gardening. I usually write at least two books on the go. They're like dishes I start to cook and then put them on the stove to simmer. To get into the zone, I use scents and they get me into different states of mind. Every book has its own perfume. I spritz it to go into the story I'm writing. The bottle on my desk right now is Chanel's Coromandel. I'm writing a prequel to Chocolat and I want to go back into that space. To me, March smells like damp earth and new things growing. There's wild garlic coming up in the woods and early flowering gorse up by Castle Hill, which has a peachy smell. I suffer from seasonal affective disorder, so in winter I take supplements and use light therapy to combat the sluggishness and depression. Experiencing the scents and sounds of spring tells my brain that we're coming out of the dark part of the year. Joanne's latest book, The Moonlight Market, will be available as an audiobook in July this year with a running time of five hours. This was adapted from an article in the March 2024 issue of Country Living magazine. Cheshire. Jobs boost thanks to 2.4 million LEP funding. More than 600 more people in the region will be able to sign up to the Skills Bootcamp to help fast-track them into jobs. Cheshire and Warrington Local Enterprise Partnership, the LEP, has managed to secure 2.4 million in government funding, double the previous year's allocation. Delighted LEP officials have urged education providers and businesses to come forward to help deliver the boot camps. Covering a wide range of areas such as green skills, digital skills, logistics and the skills in the rail sector, these flexible courses of up to 16 weeks give local employers the opportunity to recruit people with the skills they need or develop the skills of their existing staff. They also give local residents a chance to build up specific sector-specific skills and fast-track to a guaranteed interview or access new roles and opportunities with their current employer. To date, funding secured by the LEP has allowed 619 people aged 19 or over to attend 34 boot camps in a host of specialisms to reflect skill gaps and employer needs with the current diverse range of courses, including rail track maintenance, event security and 3D printing and digital manufacturing. And now 640 more people from the region are set to benefit from the boot camps with Cheshire and Warrington LEP securing 2.4 million in the Department of Education funding for 2024-25, doubling the 1.2 million it received the previous year. 
LEP officials are now reaching out to local employers, colleges and independent training providers to express an interest in running a boot camp in a host of sectors including green skills, logistics, digital skills and construction. The new boot camps could cover subject areas as diverse as cyber security, artificial intelligence, engineering, electric vehicle charging, retrofitting, HGV driver training, lab skills and health and social care. The LEP is also happy to discuss other potential boot camp options with interested parties based on their own identified skills gap. The skills boot camps are available for adults aged 19 and over who either live or work in Cheshire and Warrington and who have the right to work in the UK and therefore can be employed, self-employed or unemployed. They are free for all unemployed or self-employed people and for anyone in a job, a small contribution from the employer will be required. Claire Hayward, MBE, Chair of Cheshire and Warrington Local Enterprise Partnerships, said, We welcome this additional funding, which is a testament to the hard work of all involved to deliver skills boot camps that are matched against the needs and gaps of employers and to ensure Cheshire and Warrington's workforce can progress and are equipped with the right skills in a fast-changing environment. Flincher Council has apologised for the inconvenience caused by its decision to close all 88 schools in the county for the day in anticipation of severe snowfall. The Council's emergency planning team took the decision on Wednesday to instruct all schools in Flincher not to open their doors on Thursday, with pupils reverting to online learning. The Met Office had issued an amber alert for snow and ice in North Wales from 8am to 3pm. That warning covered part of Flincher and a further yellow warning for snow covered the whole of Flincher. On Thursday morning, the absence of snow led many parents to question the council's decision on social media. The council responded to the social media backlash, emphasising the seriousness with which such decisions are made. They stated, We are aware of the comments circulating on social media in relation to our decision to close schools today, Thursday the 8th of February. We're sorry for any inconvenience this has caused. The Emergency Management Response Team acted on detailed weather data and regional emergency discussions, which indicated a high risk of disruption and danger to communities. The anticipated impacts included potential isolation of rural communities, significant travel delays, possible power cuts and hazards from untreated surfaces. Defending its approach, the Council said, a proactive response was taken rather than allowing a situation to develop that, based on the information, could have seen children stranded at bus stops, stranded in vehicles or potentially being sent home later in the day, which is far more difficult to manage. Holding off on decisions until they were due to materialise would have been too late to inform stakeholders and might have put staff pupils and the general public at risk. As the day progressed, sleet and snow did begin to affect parts of the county. Arriva buses subsequently announced adjustments to their services, limiting routes to main roads and not serving certain areas due to the conditions.
Hello, this is Michael Jones at Chester Talking Newspapers. Jodrell Bank Observatory is one of the most renowned centres of scientific research anywhere in the UK. Situated in the county of Cheshire in the north of England, the project has been very much a part of Manchester University's initiative to study astrophysics. The site was used to investigate meteorites, pulsars, quasars, and the movement of satellites. Established in 1945, Jodrell Bank was a result of Bernard Lovell's efforts to create a centre for radio astronomy on behalf of the university. Following his experiences in the Second World War, Lovell started by assembling old military equipment to investigate electromagnetic signals from outer space. With his knowledge of radar and the support of Manchester University, Lavelle laid the foundations of Britain's largest and most influential radio telescope. Named after its founder, this 250 feet diameter parabolic reflector dish worked alongside three other telescopes, which also operated at the same time in the same way, only on a smaller scale. Together they made up a project known as MERLIT, the Multi-Element Radio-Linked Interferometer Network. The Laval Telescope was the most significant development at the site and became operational in 1957, just in time to monitor the progress of Sputnik 1, the very first satellite launched by the Soviet Union. From the 1950s onwards, Jodrell Bank was able to track Russian and American satellites and other projects, including those destined for the lunar surface. The British Radio Telescope also played a significant role in the Pioneer 5 satellite launched by NASA in the 1960s. Sending and receiving data to and from the satellite the Laval Telescope assisted in the success of the American space program. Ironically, the effectiveness of the British system was partly due to the use of old technology. Its ability to turn on its own axis and also raise or lower the dish itself was achieved through the use of the gun turret mechanisms from HMS Revenge and Royal Sovereign the two old Royal Navy battleships from the First World War. The Mark II radio telescope is also present on the site. About half the size of the original dish, it has an elliptical surface with a diameter of 125 feet. Built in 1964, it is still active as part of the Merlin project. Two others were deployed at the same location a 42-feet diameter dish, and a 7-meter diameter telescope. Both of these were originally in active service at the Wurumara firing range in Australia. Gargill Bank today has the potential to research a broad range of issues, such as cosmic radiation, the formation of stars and galaxies, planetary activity, meteorites, radio waves, microwaves, 
and of course rockets and satellites launched by the superpowers, as well as being the headquarters for Merlin, a network of seven radio telescopes across the UK. Jodrell Bank is also the provisional command centre for a project known as the Square Kilometre Array. That is, 20 countries working together to produce the world's largest radio telescope. In 1988, the Laval telescope itself was granted Grade 1 listed building status, and much of the rest of that location was granted Grade 2 status, and thus the location is therefore acknowledged as a place of special or exceptional interest. Finally, in 2019, Jodrell Bank Observatory was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site. So that's the story of the Northwest's first and foremost scientific research institution from 1945 to the present day. Nando's new restaurant opens in New Brighton. Nando's opens its second Wirral restaurant on Tuesday, February the 6th, creating more than 30 jobs. The company, which specialises in chicken dishes, has moved into the former Flank restaurant at Marine Point in New Brighton and will be open from 11am to 10pm, seven days a week. The opening has created 35 jobs, a mix of full and part-time positions. In a statement ahead of today's opening, Nando said it was excited to be opening its doors and firing up the grills in its New Brighton Marine Point restaurant. It will serve Nando's dishes, including the recently launched garlic churrisco burger, piri mac and cheese, and frozen cocktails. A new rubrose machine has been installed, which Nando says means you can now enjoy bottomless iced tea. And of course, there's plenty of piri piri to keep things extra saucy too. Nando's champions, champions its Southern African heritage by continually working with South African-based artists and designers across all aspects of its restaurants. At Nando's New Brighton Restaurant, this includes handmade light fittings created by Ashanti and furniture designed by David Cruno. Vibrant artworks from eight South African artists are also displayed throughout the restaurant as part of Nando's ongoing partnership with Spears Arts Trust. The new site seats 120 inside and 32 outside. Flavour fans will also be able to click and collect, take away and order via Deliveroo to enjoy their Nando's at home. Nando's is also partnering with local charities in the area as part of its No Chucking Our Chicken initiative, which secures food from its restaurants that was otherwise headed for landfill and redistributes it to good causes. Restaurant manager Danny Green said, we're so excited to be opening at Marine Point New Brighton. The restaurant looks amazing. We're looking forward to welcoming customers with our irresistible flame grill, piri piri and good vibes. Recent plans for external alterations as part of Nando's occupation of the promises included an enhanced seating area, replacement plant, fascia signs, two internally illuminated menu cases. The site will use existing seating area layout and doorway entrance. New planting boxes replace existing planting on the current boundary for the seating area. 
A new kitchen extraction and air handling plant has been installed, along with heating, cooling and catering condensers. Previous boundary detail will replace with new planting boxes that are modest in size and are a substantial distance away from the edge of the public highway. A statement issued along with the planning documents to Wirral Council said, the proposals reflect Nando's significant investment into this new location. It added, Nando's is a popular operator which will increase the footfall in the area and solidify the area's reputation as a leisure destination. Marine Point, which is home to Costa, Iceland, Home Bargains, Hungry Horse and the Light Cinema, was sold in 2022 by Apri Rose to DS Properties for £44 million. Nando's other Wirral restaurant is in Brombra. The name of a new regional mother and baby mental health unit has been revealed. Preparatory work officially started in November on the £7.5 million single-storey building which is the first of its kind across Cheshire, Merseyside and North Wales. The name Seran Lodge has been chosen by mums who have experienced maternal mental ill health and features a nod to the new cross-border partnership with NHS Wales. Nia Folks, expert by experience, said it was important to the group to choose a name which signified hope and positivity, but also something that was welcoming to families no matter where they live. The name Seren translates as star in Welsh, and Lodge felt homely and not clinical at all, which we thought was perfect. The unit is the result of a partnership between Cheshire and Wirral Partnership NHS Foundation Trust, Betsy Cadwallader University Health Board, Merseycare NHS Foundation Trust, NHS England and NHS Wales, and will see a disused training centre transformed into a new specialist eight-bedded unit for perinatal mothers, babies and their families. Suzanne Edwards, CWP Director of Operations and Deputy CEO said, The new unit will support new and expectant mothers in a therapeutic environment which has been purposefully designed for people experiencing maternal mental health difficulties such as postnatal depression, psychosis or a relapse of an existing mental health condition. It's estimated that one in four women experience mental health problems in pregnancy or during the 24 months after giving birth. While only a small number of people will need admission to a specialist unit like Seren Lodge, I'm delighted that we will be able to offer this care closer to home, in addition to the thousands of families we see in the community every year. Once open, Seren Lodge will provide a home from home for women and their babies and include a nursery, sensory room and multiple lounges to support quiet time and family visits. Having access to outside spaces is central to the development with two garden areas and a walking pram loop with families benefiting from close access to the Countess of Chester Country Park. The news has also been met positively by national charity Action on Postpartum Psychosis who campaign for greater access to specialist perinatal mental health care. Dr Jessica Heron, their Chief Executive, added, We are so delighted to see the progress being made. The new unit will mean that new mothers across North Wales, Cheshire and Merseyside with severe postnatal illness 
will be cared for appropriately and supported with parenting without having to travel miles from their families to other areas of the UK or ending up in adult psychiatric wards separated from their newborn. Seren Lodge is set to open next winter. Exasperated manager Callum McIntyre was fuming after his Chester team could only manage a 1-1 draw at home to Banbury United, as he made a startling admission. I'm as angry as I've ever been in this job, he boomed after the frustration of seeing his men produce their best display of the season without finishing off a host of chances. His mood hadn't changed after Tuesday night's one-all draw at Peterborough Sports either, when a late Elliot Whitehouse penalty rescued a point. On Saturday's display, he said, if you are going to put in a performance like that in possession, out of possession, in 46 games up until the 18-yard box, I don't think we will lose a game, he reasoned. That's as good as we've been with the ball. I've talked a lot around not creating clear-cut chances and not getting in areas. We have had clear-cut chances here, chance after chance after chance. And if we are not going to put the ball in the net, then that is the result we are going to get. You can talk about all the measurements we put on in the performance. Did we put it in? Did we put effort in? Yes, of course. Have we created opportunities to score? Yes, the ball has gone across the opposition box time after time. Have we looked solid? The goalkeeper has not made a save in 90 minutes. They haven't been near our goal until one crazy moment and we conceded a penalty. What more can you do? The reality is score. That is all that matters. He added, how on earth did we get into the positions we got in here and only score one goal? Well, it's not about missing a penalty at the end of the game. We struck the crossbar two minutes before, but a header that went wide. So yes, I'm angry uh, as I've ever been in this job. After the Warrington game, I was angry about a poor performance. But it isn't that here, but it is a poor result. What is the point of us producing this kind of performance only to have the same to show for it? Uh, frustrating is the word. We are second or third potentially for creating chances and conceding the fewest. The best defence in the division with 18 clean sheets. We have that balance. We don't set up to not concede and not create anything at the other end. We aren't just attack, attack and winning every game 5-4 uh, or 4-3. No, we don't do that at all. I can put my finger on it quite simply. We create chances and we do not put the ball in the back of the net. So I'm angry, and I mean angry, not with the quality of the performance, but with the end result. Being consistent has always been key for McIntyre. And he added, you can go back and say that was a good point last week against Kings Lynn, but now it wasn't because you haven't backed it up after dominating the game. And haven't got anything to show for it except a point which isn't good enough with a home game. It's not good enough to say another day would be okay. The days are when they happen, the games are when the days are. The reality is we've done everything. If we play like that for 46 games, I would be delighted, but not if we don't score the goals. We had possession, territory, everything is there, except we haven't put the ball in the net. I can think of loads of positives, but I've no interest in talking about them. 
But what's the point of me coming out and talking about positives? No, we want points. We want wins. We want results. It's what we all work for because we know where we all want to get to. Chester FC have confirmed forward Zach Club has joined Carnarvon Town for an undisclosed fee, subject to international clearance. TNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Now for a look at some of this coming week's radio highlights, starting with Saturday, February 10th. And for gripping afternoon drama, try Turning Point, Southall Uprising. Satinda Chohan's play based on the 1979 peaceful protests held in the diverse West London neighbourhood 45 years ago in April is an inspiring testimony to multicultural diaspora standing up to the far right. Three o'clock, Radio 4, Turning Point. Opera on 3 presents Strauss's Electra, a recent Royal Opera House performance of Richard Strauss's intense take on Sophocles' tragedy in a new staging of Christoph Loy, conducted by Antonio Papano. 6.30, Radio 3. In Archive on 4, Chemist's Dirty Secrets, Professor of Chemistry Andrea Seller examines the motives of chemists who for more than 100 years have been involved in producing weapons that have terrorised, maimed and killed soldiers and civilians alike. Radio 4 for Archive on 4 at 8pm. Lastly for Saturday, Add to Playlist returns a new eight-part series with singer Corinne Bailey-Ray, tenor Nicky Spence and the London Bulgarian Choir. 10.15, Saturday evening, Radio 4. Sunday, February 11th, an actor, Gillian Murphy, star of Peaky Blinders and Oppenheimer, is Lauren Laverne's castaway in Desert Island Discs. 11.15, Radio 4. In Private Passions on Sunday, Michael Barclay welcomes chef and restaurateur Ramon Blanc, whose music choices include Vivaldi, Verdi, Beethoven and Leonard Cohen. Radio 3 for Private Passions, 12 noon. File on 4 investigates what motivated two teenagers to lure another teenager to her death in a plan to kill the murder of Brianna Gray. 5pm, Radio 4 for File on 4. Lastly, for Sunday and the weekend, words and music, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the TV debut of Bagpuss, the most magical, saggy old cloth cat in the world, with a carefully curated selection of music from The Cure, Tchaikovsky and Glenn Miller, and readings from George Eliot, Henry James and Roald Dahl. 5.30, words and music, Bagpuss, Radio 3. On to programmes then that are serialised all week at the same time, each day. So starting with programmes that run at the same time every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And Book of the Week is Fire Weather by John Valiant, and it explores the past and future of an even hotter, more flammable world. 9.45, Radio 4, all week. Composer of the Week, Donald McLeod, talks to Welsh-born composer Carl Jenkins, who's 80, on Saturday, about his life and music. 12 noon, Radio 3 from Monday. Also all week at 1.45 on Radio 4, In the Loop is poet Paul Farley's exploration of all things circular, starting with stone circles and continuing with traffic roundabouts. MC Isha's Impossible Staircase and the Blackpool Roller Coaster and the Large Hadron Collider. 1.45, Radio 4, all week. 
This week's Book of Bedtime is Mr Norris Changes Trains by Christopher Isherwood. English teacher William Bradshaw gets caught up in the strange world of Mr Norris on a Berlin train. 10.45 all week in the evening on Radio 4. And in the essay, Letters to the Overrated and Underrated, Ian Sansom imagines he's writing to figures from literary history whom he believes to have either overpraised or unfairly discounted, beginning with New Zealand-born modernist author Catherine Mansfield. 10.45, Radio 3. Back to the individual highlights for the rest of the week then, and starting with Monday, February 12th. And the lunchtime concert on Monday comes live from the Wigmore Hall in London. Andrew McGregor introduces bass baritone Ashley Riches and pianist Joseph Middleton in a recital celebrating the art of storytelling. Radio 3 for the lunchtime concert, 1 o'clock. The subject of The Gift is Hacked, a one-off special investigating whether a recent unprecedented DNA data theft was racially motivated in an attempt to target Jews living globally and whether information as sensitive as our genetic code can ever be stored safely. Radio 4, The Gift is Hacked. 4pm. Following that, Beyond Belief questions the right to joke about religion. Aline McBool and a panel of comedians discuss whether the line is drawn between what we can and what we should not joke about. 4.30pm, Radio 4 on Monday. One more challenging questions in analysis, where Bushra Sheikh asks what is British culture? As a British Asian, she's constantly accused of not integrating. Not integrating into what culture, exactly? At 8.30pm, Radio 4, Monday. On to Tuesday, February 13th, and Kirsty Young returns with a new series of Young Again, the programme that invites a guest to look at their past and offer some advice to their younger selves, starting with the former Doctor Who and Malcolm Tucker actor Peter Capaldi. 11am, Radio 4, on Tuesday morning. The afternoon drama presents The New Sugar by Ben Taggo. Yorkshire-born Charlotte follows her father to Barbados, where she finds tensions brewing over the recently legalised cannabis industry, raising the spectre of the injustices of the island's historical sugar trade. 2.15, Tuesday afternoon, Radio 4. Reincarnation is a new six-part comedy series about a man struggling to cope with being reincarnated as various animals. In the first, a cat. 6.30pm, Radio 4. Radio 3 in Concert features a programme recorded in December at the Barbican in London. The London Symphony Orchestra playing works by Brahms and Prokofiev. 7.30, Tuesday evening, Radio 3. And don't forget In Touch, news and features for blind and partially sighted listeners. 8.40 on Radio 4, Tuesday evening. Wednesday, February 14th, Love is in the Air, of course. But the drama is Trespass, a satirical play for radio by David Pownall, with the elderly Earl of Leighton Marr confined to an asylum and threatening to dispose of his assets and renounce his title, his lover takes actions to prevent his plans. 2.15, Wednesday afternoon, Radio 4. Choral Evensong comes live from Guildford Cathedral on Ash Wednesday, with music by Welks, James Macmillan, Gregory May and Roxana Panovich. 4 o'clock, Radio 3. In Thinking Aloud, Laurie Taylor and guests discuss the crafting of public persona, from Leonardo da Vinci to the Kardashians, together with the question of how and why we use anonymity. Thinking Aloud, Radio 4, 4pm. 4 and lastly for Wednesday, a new eight-part series of The Skewer, John Holmes twists current affairs clips into a surreal, satirical soundscape. 11.15 in the evening, on Radio 4. 
Thursday, February 15th, In Our Time is all about Alice's adventures in Wonderland. Lewis Carroll's 1865 novel is one of the most celebrated and influential in all English literature, a nonsense work that's never been out of print in nearly 160 years. 9am for In Our Time, Radio 4. Thursday's afternoon drama is entitled No Alternative. Andy de la Tour stars in this play about the politically volatile period that saw the rise of the alternative comedy movement. Based on true events, the story follows the fate of fictionalised comedy duo Erica and Ernie, an archaic free-form homage to Morecambe and Wise. 2.15, Thursday afternoon, Radio 4. A new seven-part series of ramblings gets underway. Claire Balding takes a joyful hike up Castle Hill near Huddersfield with We in Front, an inspirational group of walkers. Three o'clock on Radio 4. While Radio 3 in concert comes live from the City Halls in Glasgow. Valentina Peleggi conducts the BBC's Scottish Symphony Orchestra in a programme of romantic classics. 7.30pm, Thursday evening, Radio 3. And Friday, February 16th, ends the week. Athena Kugbleno, Magnifying Glass, a stand-up comedy special in which Athena examines what it means to be upwardly mobile and if the rigid way British society views class is in need of a rethink. 11 in the morning, Radio 4. Friday. Dr Gwen Adshead is a forensic psychiatrist working with the UK's most violent offenders. In Heart and Soul, she reflects on her faith and the part it plays in her work. 11.30, BBC World Service, Friday morning. Love and Other Lies is the title of a new five-part drama. When an online flirtation turns bad, Josie goes from being titillated to terrified. Soon she's embroiled in a web of deceit that can barely hold together her suburban life. 2.15, Radio 4. And lastly for Friday and for the week, Radio 3 in concert comes live from the Barbican and includes its UK premiere performance of a major statement from British-American composer Bernard Rands. Radio 3 for Radio 3 in concert, 7.30 Friday evening. That's it. Thank you to Leslie for the highlights this week. May I wish you a peaceful, safe and enjoyable week of radio listening. TNS Soundings. DNF Soundings. Features from across the UK. Hello, this is Helen from Wharfdale Talking News with Val's selection of audio described TV programmes starting Saturday the 10th to Friday the 16th of February 2024. So let's see what we can find that might interest you this week. We start with Saturday the 10th of February. In John and Lisa's food trip down under at 11.40am on ITV1, the couple sample potato dosa at a market. Nick and Dougie cook a rack of Scottish lamb in the Great Food Guys at 11.30 this morning on BBC One. Four more contenders take on another set of events against the Mighty Gladiators at 5.50pm on BBC One. Find out who will be unmasked tonight after the five surviving celebrities Take to the stage in The Masked Singer on ITV1 at 7.15pm. Max pushes himself too far when he tries to save two brothers in this week's episode of the hospital drama Casualty on BBC One at 9.20pm. The period romantic drama Atonement starring Keira Knightley and James McAvoy is tonight's film on BBC Three at 9.45pm. 
Now on to Sunday the 11th of February. Sunday with Laura Koonsberg featuring interviews with politicians and key public figures is on BBC One at 9am. Ainsley embarks on a culinary tour of Valletta in Ainsley's Taste of Malta at 11.30am on ITV One. To mark World Day of the Sick, Pam Rhodes visits St Christopher's Hospice in London in Songs of Praise at 1.15pm on BBC One. It's time for tea as the hopefuls make novelty teapots and mugs in the Great Pottery Throwdown on Channel 4 at 7.45pm. Cyril faces his toughest challenge yet in his new role as Child Welfare Officer, while Matthew is summoned to a board meeting in tonight's episode of Call the Midwife on BBC One at 8pm. Have you ever wondered how the all-important bubbles are created in a peppermint aero? Find out in Inside the Factory on BBC Two at 8pm. In tonight's visit to the Caribbean, the community is rocked when a care home resident is stabbed with her own knitting needle. Death in Paradise is on BBC One at 9pm. Simon Reeve is on his hands and knees crawling through the arid scrub of Africa's Kalahari Desert with a group of master trackers from the indigenous sand people. The final episode of Wilderness with Simon Reeve is on BBC Two at 9pm. Here are the programmes which are on at the same time throughout the week. Homes Under the Hammer is at 11.15. Bargain Hunt is at 12.15. Doctors is at 1.45 but not on Friday. Escape to the Country is at 3pm Monday to Thursday and 3.15 on Friday. And The Repair Shop is at 3.45pm. All of these programmes are on BBC One. Jimmy Doherty begins a culinary tour of the Sunshine State in a new series, Jimmy's Taste of Florida, on ITV One at 2pm Monday to Friday. Heartbeat is on ITV Three at 7pm on Monday, 6.55 on Tuesday and a double bill at 5.55 on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. Let's see what's on offer for Monday the 12th of February. In a new 15-part series, the chef ventures out of his home county to rediscover hearty classics across the UK, starting with a tour of the Lake District. Rick Stein's Food Stories is on BBC Two at 6.30pm and continues at the same time each evening throughout the week. More contestants sit in the black chair in Mastermind at 7.30pm and two more teams battle it out in University Challenge at 8.30pm, both on BBC Two. George explores the small towns and rural landscapes of New Jersey and Connecticut in search of the architecture that defined the 1950s and 60s. George Clark's Adventures in Americana is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Several choices at nine tonight. The team is called to King's Cross Station Museum, where they discover eight victims entombed below. Silent Witness is on BBC One at 9pm. Part two is at the same time tomorrow. The story of the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster, featuring contributions from NASA staff and the astronauts' families, is the subject of the first episode of the three-part documentary, The Space Shuttle That Fell to Earth on BBC Two at 9pm. Avon and Somerset Police's Professional Standards Department investigate allegations of sexual misconduct made against police officers. 
The final episode of the documentary series To Catch a Copper is on Channel 4 at 9. Moving on to Tuesday the 13th of February. Dave and Sai make a return trip to Scotland, this time to Dumfries and Galloway in The Hairy Bikers Go West on BBC Two at 7pm. With most of the teachers away on an inset day, Libby leads Year 11 as they run riot around the school in tonight's episode of Waterloo Road on BBC One at 8. Barnaby and Jones investigate when a nun is strangled to death. Midsummer Murders is on ITV3 at 8pm. Three choices at nine tonight. Nikki tries to identify the last of the remaining bodies in the final episode of the current series of Silent Witness on BBC One at 9pm. The remarkable story of the tennis star's fall from grace continues in Boris Becker, The Rise and Fall, on ITV One at 9pm. There's hope for anyone looking for a relationship later in life, as 90-year-old army veteran Ronald woos a 91-year-old widow. Find out how they get on in First Dates, Be My Valentine, on Channel 4 at 9pm. A Turkish cartel tells the Kinsellas that they are obliged to pay a sizeable debt in the first episode of a new series of the crime drama Kin on BBC One at 10.40pm. On to Wednesday the 14th of February. A battered old kitchen table and a scuffed pair of giant clown shoes are among the items brought in for the attention of the experts in the repair shop on BBC One at 8 tonight. Bill Bailey hosts as eight aspiring actors are mentored over six weeks, working on the sets of some of the UK's best-loved dramas, starting with the set of EastEnders. The reality series Bring the Drama is on BBC Two at 9pm. As Waterside braces itself for another flood, Jo finally uncovers the answer she's been searching for, but the truth is set to change everything. The final episode of After the Flood is on ITV1 at 9pm. When Alice and Jack meet, they form a powerful, seemingly unbreakable connection. But a trauma from Alice's past leads her to reject Jack in the first episode of this six-part drama series. Alice and Jack is on Channel 4 at 9pm. Part 2 is at the same time tomorrow. An American movie star bumps into a humble London bookshop owner and they embark on an unlikely affair. The romantic comedy Notting Hill, starring Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant, is the late film on ITV1 at 10.45pm. Now for Thursday the 15th of February. More entrepreneurs pitch their money-making ideas in Dragon's Den on BBC One at 8pm. The staff at Woodgreen Pets Charity are back to find new homes for more abandoned canines. The Dog House is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Jack is asked to help a professional athlete facing a doping accusation in the drama Darby and Joan on the Drama Channel at 8pm. Will ends up battered and bruised in the middle of nowhere and is taken in by a local policeman. Geordie is called to collect him, but they soon find themselves caught up in a tragic murder. The final episode of the current series of Grantchester is on ITV1 at 9pm. 
Now a father and happily married, Jack receives an unexpected call that turns his life upside down. The second part of the romantic drama Alice and Jack is on Channel 4 at 9. Fiona Bruce invites a panel of politicians and other guests in Lancaster to answer questions from an invited audience. Question Time is on BBC One at 10.40pm. Finally, we come to Friday the 16th of February. Lady Felicia asked a sleuthing cleric to help prove that a convicted serial killer didn't kill her goddaughter. Father Brown is on BBC One at 1.45pm. It's Valentine's Day and the Jessops attempt to expose Paul's secret admirer while Robin prepares to propose to Cherry. The sitcom Here We Go is on BBC One at 8pm. In Manchester, a couple attempt to add a modernist glass extension to their Victorian property. In South London, a couple have high hopes of transforming the small space of their 1930s semi But will the extensions be completed before the arrival of their baby? Extraordinary Extensions is on Channel 4 at 8pm. Amanda and Alan aim to transform the medieval tower room into a cinema, while Amanda hopes to turn her damp cellar into a wine grotto. Amanda and Alan's Italian job is on BBC One at 8.30pm. Greg Fokker and his wife Pam are now the proud parents of twins, but their respective families are still interfering. The comedy sequel Little Fockers is a late night film on Channel 4 at 5 past 11. I hope you find something to enjoy from this week's selection of programmes. TNF Soundings Well, listeners, that's all for this week. Thanks again to everyone involved in putting this edition together. We also thank the local papers, mainly the Standard, the Chronicle and the Leader, and especially their online news articles, which are a useful source for the stories we bring you each week. We all hope you enjoyed this issue and that you all found something of interest in this recording. We'll be here again next week, and as always, we look forward to reading for you once more. Until then, goodbye.